minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, witch, and you can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find her at TarotByGinger.com. And she's a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And that's at TarotByGinger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Andrea Vitimus, and he has a book called Chaos Hands-On, Chaos Magic, and he's been a guest a few times, and he can pretty much talk about all this, anything, and uh, thanks for coming on again. Oh, no problem. It's It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a few months, I think. You know... I was thinking earlier this morning, like what I was going to talk about. I wanted to ask you a question. You know, this is something that's been on my mind and, and I've been tooling around with a little bit. Is the power, not necessarily of mat, I don't know if this mat counts as magic or not, but the power of prayer or a wish or somebody just wishing for something. What is your opinion on that? Well, I mean, the thing is, prayer is magic. Mm-hmm. And so is wishing. It's just unskilled magic for most people. Um, theurgy uh, is a classical style of magic that goes back, you know, back to buffalo hunting, essentially, where you're praying to the spirits to basically get uh, things going. But how common people use prayer is sort of uh, unfocused. Mm-hmm. And and that unfocused usually means there's a lack of results. Um they blame it on the fact that God or whatever they're praying to doesn't want them to have uh, what they're asking for. But it's more probably closer to the fact that the signal or their prayer signal was too weak. And by weak, I don't mean that they are weak. I mean they're unfocused or untrained. So the gods they pray to can't hear them or God, God can't hear the prayer over the noise inside their own head. It is still just a, a method of magic. It's just one that most people, when they pray, you know, what do they pray for? It's like 30 seconds. There's no real, there's no real buildup. There's no real intensity. And then they go think about, you know, I got to pay rent. Mm. You know, like, right. But your body takes time to get into the realm that you can actually be in sync with the vibration to make the prayer work. I mean, so it's not the prayer that's the issue usually. It's not the wishing that's the issue. It is the lack of focus around such things. Wish magic is fine, right? Although, like, there we could speak about the desire of result problem we get a little bit with wish magic. Um, um, but it's effective. And in fact, a lot of the spells, or if you summon a Dijen, right, 
you're you're literally going into the genie mythology and you're summoning a genie to fulfill your wish. Um, and that's perfectly okay. But again, we get into the issue of focus and control mm-hmm. and what happens after the fact. So most people wish for things, but do they really, really mean that wish? I'd argue no. They'd argue yes to me, but if we sat down and had a coaching session, I'd argue no. Um, because there's consequences to wishes. Every wish granting tale is a cautionary tale. Hmm. Can you think of any genie or wish statement that's not a cautionary tale? No, but I've always kind of thought maybe that was to scare people away from it because, you know, religions don't want people to be empowered. So they throw these stories out there and say, don't do this. You got to come over here and pray to our God and go to church. It's much easier to pray to God, uh, a God or God or the God, if you believe in that. To, to then it is to take personal responsibility for the changes you make in reality. In one way, you have to admit you made a wish, the bad mm-hmm. and the good of the wishes, you own it. You made that wish. It's much easier to let Skyfather decide for you. Mm-hmm. That's much easier for most people. It's less true. true. They Even don't now. have the cognitive they don't have the cognitive problems that come about with oh I wish for X, Y, and Z, or I wish for X, but to make X happen, I also had to move, I had to lose my wife, I had to lose this, and then X came about. It was better, but the process of getting there was really painful, and that's where most people don't understand about wishes. Like, a wish is something that, if you'd got it, it doesn't just happen by itself, it happens in all aspects of your life. This is why people would like there to be prayer, and they'd like prayer to just work. They'd like wishes to be work, but I argue they don't. They really don't. Mm. Like, if the sacrifice of the wish was too high, they don't mean it, you know? Mm. Otherwise, it would be easier to happen. So this gets into, like, sort of terms you throw around in, well, not the book, but I should have put them in. But Sphere of Elbidu is in the book. But it's also about desire result, right? If you truly desire something, you you tend to work against yourself. Well, there's a lot of reasons why. But I think the real thing is, is if you are truly capable of having what you're asking for, uh, you'd have it. Like without a wish or without spell work or without prayer. The prayer is an excuse for you to get there. And left the kind of take your hands off the wheels in some cases. Like, but the the wish in itself could break other components. Like I said, like a new job could break a whole bunch of components in your life that you're not thinking about to get there. Like I said, you might lose your wife, you have to move. And in the process, you happen to move to a different area and get a different job. That's really good. But you've already lost a lot. It was a huge sacrifice there. So you weren't able to control the path to get to the This is sort of the desire. Yeah, you can never, almost never control the path. The truth is, is the matter is that level of detachment is why, you know, people who can work magic and and actually do so and can pray and actually make the signal work and have focus, have enough focus to be detached from the elements of their life. Um most people, they also are making spell work, generally speaking, 
not when you initially start with magic, but later you're kind of making spell work that you really thought about, right? It's not, here's a wish, and you're like, oh, there's consequences, oopsie. Like, most people are really, when they start getting a little bit more seasoned as a magician, they're making sort of wishes or prayers that are really, uh, they've really thought about. They really need this. Where they really they're okay with the other changes and they're detached from the surface uh, constraints of life, which is sort of like you know when you talk about Buddhism or other religions, that's like one of the core ideas. But it's also in Western magic, um, the idea that you're detached from necessarily the results and you're detached from necessarily the constraints of the world, so you can actually get what you're asking for. You know, everyone thinks even small spells, like I'm saying couldn't have a ripple effect but they always do like even a small healing reiki session can change your friend network you know, think about it like if you actually yeah. truly got some emotional healing you can't have the same people who are abusing you in your life it can't happen right like they have to go like some people that maybe you are sort of friends with have to become better friends because they were actually supportive right your inner state has to your inner energy state has to reflect the, the outer state. That's what Hermetic says. That's what Hinduism says. That's what Buddhism says. That's what Taoism says. They're all saying this. Like you can, And the expectation is I can get my wish, and it's like the wish happens in a vacuum. And that's the problem with wishes. It isn't that the methodology of wishes. It's that, A, there's not a focus, and B, there's not the self-reflection to understand is this what I really want? Hmm. Like, Everyone wishes for similar things, you know, like not everyone, but like how many yeah. people would listen and say, I want to be a multimillionaire. All of us. <laughs> right. But how many people are willing to study finance and look at what multimillionaires do to get there who might not have been started with money? Now, a lot of them, it's their daddy and mommy's money. Okay. That's, that's different. But there are cases that you could study and model that, they weren't. And what did they do? And then you hear stuff that people won't like. 80, 90 hour work weeks where they are hustling, you know, you know, other people reading like five, six books a week to become subject area experts on what they were interested in to pursue their business or other things, you know, taking side classes, even while working 80, just to cut information on something they were absolutely passionate about, you know, and then people start thinking, but I just want to, I just want to be rich and sit chill. But it never works that way, right? Like it never works that way. There's no story of, hmm, I just sat on my butt and I got rich. Mm-hmm. And if people are thinking, well, what about the lottery? Almost every lottery winner who wins the lottery, who isn't used to finance or actually having money, ends up being poor within the time their lottery earnings are over. Not just poor, but more poor than they were before they won the lottery. Which talks about this greater work of magic. Like, you know, if you want that, that's okay. I myself want that. But I also went and got an MBA and studied finance and understand a lot about my past history of why this hasn't happened yet. uh, Because I lived in a poor family that was abusive. And I have to deal with that. And that's hard work. It isn't surface energy patterns. It's deep energy patterns to accept 
the grace of the universe, but I'm willing to do the hustle. So I'm halfway there, right? Like I'm halfway willing to put in the work and time and effort and hustle and make social sacrifices instead of partying. You know, maybe I'm writing books, you know, maybe not a couple books, because if you think you're going to make a lot of money on a couple books, I got news for you. That's okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's another myth we could talk about, but right. you know, I think writing any books right now, you know, is book is a business card. Yeah. You have to treat the books as a business it, card. It makes you an expert on your topic. Hear, right. Authors never want to hear that, but the book is, in all intents and terms, a, a, a business card. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, you know, 9.5 out of 10 are going to sit on a shelf, never be read, of all the books you sell. Even if you're any kind of um, a little different with fiction, but with nonfiction, that's, that's the case. Oh, yeah, it, it will absolutely. sit in somebody's library... They might reference it once in a while, but it really is a business card. So people can actually um, maybe have classes or other stuff where they get not a reading, um, not reading material. Some people actually love uh, love to read, but I think they're they're rare um, in in our society. Now they are, yeah. I mean, I still like to read. I still enjoy it. But you know, I have my own book out, and it's exactly what it is. It's just to say, okay. I have researched this topic thoroughly, and here's what I found. Right, here's some materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, if you look at most books, uh, you know, there's a couple that people, I mean, in my book, first book, Hands Out of Chaos Mask, clearly, like, I pined over it and was trying to make actually something that maybe had a different intention than just being a business card. But if you look at more successful authors, that's what they do. They know how to do this score. I mean, they're willing to kind of meet the requirements of what the job is to kind of get it to work. And and it is a job, right? It, it is definitely a job. Like, so again, like if you want to be a successful author, that's totally okay. But what does that mean? That means like you're going to have to produce probably a book once or twice, one or two years, every book, regardless mm-hmm. of what's going on in your life. You know, that means... You're probably going to have to produce two or three books before you maybe get enough that the job at Starbucks goes away, that you don't need it anymore, right? Then you have to make certain career choices, right? Because you can't have a job that's high stress and try to write. Trust me, I've tried that. It doesn't work. I think, but Gary, you're like laughing about it because you understand, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really hard. It is so hard. You cannot do it. You have to have a job that is, is, I don't want to say menial because that's not true, but it has to be lower stress. Like, so if your job is a crazy high stress job, there isn't the mental energy to actually write. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about this, you realize really on, if you wish to be an author, a successful author, that means there's consequences. These are consequences that you have to choose if you're serious about the wish. Like you have to choose a job that maybe is $20,000, $30,000 less a year. That's a lot less stress that you can come home and have the mental energy to actually sit and write. You have to choose a spouse or a significant other or a husband or uh, a set of boyfriends and girlfriends together or whatever the relationship thing is you are. That is supportive of that because if they're not, they will not. It will get not be possible, right? That has to be upfront. It has to be a selection choice of who you have in your nearest circle that is supportive of this endeavor 
that may not pan out, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about wishes, like if you're serious about this wish, there's all these things that have to happen, you know? And if you do magic for this wish, not as a cursory way, not as a, oh, I wish, like you're seriously doing a wish spell, all these things might come about either way, mm. right? Because the magic isn't really controllable in its mechanism, but the things that are opposing the magic either have to destroy the spell or the magic has to overcome them, which could take time. But in this case, if you're unwilling to get those people in your life and you cast a strong spell, those people are liable to fall out of your life. And when that happens, there's usually pain, right? And then you go through this process of like spell work or wish wish making, like serious wish making, and you realize you get to the wish and you don't even realize you're at the outcome of the wish. You've forgotten because all this other stuff happened before the wish can happen. And then you meet the criteria of desire for getting with desire result. It's no longer the desire of that result. So you're no longer getting in the way. It just happened because all this other stuff happened. And after the process, you decide, yeah, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> you don't even remember that first wish you made. Like, oh, right. yeah, like you made this serious wish to be an author. And then, yeah, I'm going to go write a book or two right now that I'm in a different social place. And, you know, I'm going to transmute all that pain into actually a book. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like, and maybe then it's a, more, you know, a couple books in, it's a couple successful. It's, it's successful. But you don't realize all that transformation came about as the wish. That's why wishes are cautionary tales. I don't think they're meant to scare people away. It's sort of like, as as magicians, you kind of learn, okay, I got to roll with the punches. Like, you know, it happens. It's you, you, your state of reality will change, you know? Things don't work, and you're, as a magician, only going to be adaptable or not. Like, if you think about it, like, that's what it is. Like, you're trying to adapt and become more than you are, and you're doing magic to bring things you want into your world, and then that means not necessarily that it's bad consequences, right? It's not always bad, you know, but even good consequences are hard sometimes. Yeah, you know, definitely. Right? Like, you know, I was telling a friend the other day, like... I started to do magic to to recondition my friend network after after COVID. I mean, that's something a lot of people have issues with mm-hmm. right now, right? Like, I, I felt like I disconnected with a lot of friends, you know, and there was some negative consequences to that that spell. Let's call it a wish, but, but let's say it's spell or wish or combination. You know, at one time I had to re- the bad consequence was. I had to actually reflect on the people who were in my life before and it didn't come out positive with the distance. Like, why did I let those kind of people in my life? Why did I let people in my life that were not really supportive of me? Like, and I had to ask hard questions. But the second thing, when the wish actually started to come happening, because I wish to have, of course, supportive, you know, generous, supportive people, you know, around me that we can have mutually win situations it's like a good a good type of social network spell or socially like the kind of people you want around when they came around, I was freaked out. Why? Because the friends before weren't like that. I had to adjust to a good reality where, 
okay, these people are supportive. Like it's this funny is funny that you use that example because that's kind of where I'm at now. Uh, maybe I'm just a psychic. Maybe I, I, we do readings out of my store, right? You know, but uh, but I mean, I mean, in a way, that's a cl- good example too. Like this is a good consequence. You got what you wanted. It's good to ask for what you're asking for. That doesn't mean that psychologically there's not changes. No, right? What no. does it mean when a friend when friends are coming to you? They're actually supportive. Like, how does that change your consciousness? It isn't just that you just get the wish and there's no consequence. There, in fact, is. Because now you're not used to it. And you're not ready for it. And what happens? You did the wish. You did the spell. It worked. Let's assume you have the techniques to make the wish work. And now you're left with, oh, wait. Wait. There's all these questions about why didn't I have these people before. Are these people real? Mm Mm-hmm. Because you don't know, because of what happened before, if you're not used to it, you know, are these people real? Like, is this a real thing or what are they trying to get out of it? And you have to really like sit down and work with yourself to be realize that that is your pain talking. You could mess up the magic by not sitting down and thinking about this is my pain talking. This is my vulnerability talking. This is all the crap from before talking that... I needed to get past before COVID, but I didn't. But I wish to get past it and have this run. And I still have to confront it. It doesn't go away because I did the wish. It's still there. In fact, I could mm-hmm. break the wish based on my inner demons, hmm. like based on not working through these issues. The wish worked. Those people came. All the magic worked. I'm, I'm saying that's clear. That's perfectly clear. And now there's all these questions all these kind of rubble that comes about of that, like, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, why is it that you question these people? Why is it that this, you know, what kind of rubble is there? Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you get rid of that? Right. People listening might be like, well, that's good. You got what you wanted, but you think that's what you want. It is what I wanted. I would reflect it upon it. And I'm willing to do the work right every day. I sit and meditate and think, why is my internal voices giving me this feedback? Why? Uh, what are the positive intentions? That's the cognitive science or cognitive behavioral technique. Why are, what is it trying to positively do for me as the organism? You know, usually it'll come back, you know, usually your voices come back something like avoid pain, you know, okay. Right. Then you can counter that narrative sort of like, uh, dialectically by putting two demons against each other. You know, like Socratic method where you kind of have a conver- honest conversation like, yeah, there's the pain that you're saving me from. And then there's the greater pain as the ill-adapted pattern of you have people around that's not truly supportive. Mm-hmm. Which one is which one is worse? And you basically will come it will come to a conclusion that that's the worst pain. So its methodologies were bad. And then you kind of bring it full circle to the table. I mean, I could talk about that all day, but that's essentially like a magical therapeutic kind of way to kind of talk to parts of yourself. It's not quite therapeutic, but in more in sort of looser therapy, it, it kind of, that will do stuff like this. And then basically, which you can bring that part of yourself to the table then, right? Cause once it realizes its methods are wrong, it's intention still good. So you can then basically say, okay, I can still listen to you. But the method you are using is wrong. So what does that mean? 
You know, like, how can we, how can you support your original positive intention to keep the organism safe? Right. It's interesting because now I'm thinking like, you know, like, okay, I'm hanging around with these negative people and, and I'm getting this habit of, you know, all this negative self-talk in my head. And then I started suddenly making this decision, like, hey, you know what? I want to be happy, you know. And then you start looking at it from the other side, like, well, all this negative stuff that I'm thinking is negative, in a way, was trying to keep me safe from the pain of what I'm going to have to go through to be happy. Right. And now we get full circle about wishes being cautionary tales. Or at least, why don't they work? Or why doesn't prayer just work? Right? Now, prayer... Now, that's that's the internal issues. We haven't even covered the idea of signal, right? Right. Um, it isn't that God or gods or goddesses don't want to listen. It's that we don't connect right. Like, you know... You, when you call a friend, you actually have to, you know, dial the phone. Uh, but there's no physical phone. Well, how do we dial the phone? Is all the methods of magic, right? It's all the method of trance, all the methods of focus, all the stuff that nobody wants to do, which is the basics, right? Because you have to be able to block everything out to have the call. <laughs> like, that takes some time, right? Because even when you're on the phone, I mean, Realistically, even when people are calling other people on the phone, they have other things in their mind. But that's not how it works when you're making a prayer. You have to have nothing else there. And I think, you know, people in certain traditions, like even Christian traditions, uh, maybe not Protestant so much, but other ones, like, you know, if you go in the inner city, you'll see you'll see people pray right. They, they, they pray you know, with real intense focus, it's not thirty seconds. It's not a minute. It's it's a while, um, and then you can't stack the prayers, right? Because you're distracted. Then that's also what people do. Can I can I get rent for Jimmy? Can I get a car? You know, God, I'd like a new girlfriend too. Like it's like a laundry list, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is that the way if we study neurobiology. Mm -hmm. The way that your sort of system works is clearly that's it's probably not going to work that way. Like you have to get into some people will say you have to get into alpha state or deeper. That's probably true. That's a metaphor. Again, it's a different metaphor. But realistically, you have to get to a place where the outside world actually falls away. And all there is is you and that entity. And that's it. And you're having a conversation. Um, all of the different intentions you have, like you have five or 10 different prayers that you want to make at one time, the outside world that cannot fall away. You might be able to have it fall away and keep one thing in mind. You know, one thing you're asking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if the world is still present, you're not in the state to actually make a prayer mm -hmm. because you're not in a, a state that's conducive to classic spiritual work. You're not in a state where the noise of the world isn't affecting your prayer. I guess that's why, like, even a lot, all, almost all the old classical grimoires that you, I, I used to read when I was a kid always sort of started out with, like, meditation. I'm like, well, what's the point? Like, why do you want you to meditate for? Like, why do you want to 
empty the space, you know, or, or banishing or whatever, you know, it, it always starts with that. And it's pretty clear why, because you have to remove the noise. So you're removing the noise from, well, first you're removing the noise from your environment, mm-hmm. the energetic noise. But second, you know, we know in modern terms, you know, banishing in themselves, if you look at banishing rituals are really, you know, like lesser banishing ritual pentagram is really a centering ritual. It really is a energetic balancing and focusing ritual. It isn't maybe not a banishing. Banishing sort of the wrong term. It really is a centering and mm-hmm. focusing, right? Like if you look at it, you're, you're throwing up the pentagrams around you again, right around you. And then you're the le- at the last stage. You're, you're centering into yourself. That's like the ritual in a nutshell. Like you're centering in the fact that you, you have some divinity. That's literally the last step. If, if anyone wants to see a lesser banishing ritual of pentagram, I think Gary will tell you, I'm right. That yeah. is the last step. It it's is literally a centering of the divinity inside of yourself to remember that you are not just of the world, right? And if you're not just of the world, this is exactly what I'm saying. It's sort of like a deepener to say, it's sort of like in hypnosis, we use the terms deepeners or anchors or, or things, but in hypnosis, it's a sort of like a deepener to remind yourself, you are not of the world. Part of you is not of the world, in which case it goes with the metaphor that I'm saying, like the world has to fall away. It's you and the spirits. You're literally reminding yourself that first balancing yourself energetically, getting rid of the garbage, all that, uh, mentally doing this whole bunch of things to get your head in the game that you're not of the world entirely. And that because you're not world of the thing, you can focus on that spirit in front of you or whatever you're doing. Right? Essentially, you're letting the world fall away again. Now, we can use different metaphors for that, but you're letting the world fall away for a temporary period of time through focus mm-hmm. and through through the dramatic ritual uh, with, with you know, the better you understand the the kind of Hebrew and uh, how the ritual goes together, the more there's anchors and uh, like deepeners. So you can actually let the world fall apart, not fall apart. You're just letting it go because if you don't let go of the world, you cannot change the world. Like you cannot have the magic working. Your mind is not in the right state to accept change. The world has to fall away so you can actually accept the change. If you can accept the, the change that you're bringing about by your magic, it usually means, in, you know, just raw trance state, you're in a deeper trance state, you know, because you're not concentrating or worried about the day-to-day consciousness. Like, if you do ritual, it's not day-to-day consciousness. And all these grimoires are talking about different trance states or um, getting in noetic states or whatever word they use that is ill-formed kind of words that sometimes get in the way but it's all the same idea there is no noise from the world like you're there you have your intention and that's it right you have to get to the place that the worries about the changes of the magic you'd make no longer apply because if you're going to cast a wish or cast a prayer and mean it the constraints of the world and what might be can't apply so there's the surface level of thoughts that people have it's like oh i just want this wish but right below the surface not really that much in the subconscious mind is all the consequences of that wish 
and you have to push yourself to get past all that. And then, and then, ha and when you get there, you no longer care what the consequences are. You, you're, you're there with the intention and whatever you're communicating with, if anything, and you're trying to make the changes. And the cons, you're, you're past the place where the consequences concern you, because you're past the place of the noise. Your signal of the prayer itself is strong, and your signal, uh, you're not constrained by the, the noise, inner or outer. Uh, and that's sort of a good way to put it, uh, to succinctly talk about why is the focus and meditation stuff there. I mean, it's there because of this. I mean, after the fact, you need the meditation to deconstruct exactly what you're feeling so you don't blow up the magic, like I described with the, the good friends. Wow. <clears throat> you know, it, it, like I know as... as you know, when I was young and I would read this stuff, you know, I, one, I didn't understand it. And I think that's one of the things, too, that kind of makes people, that's why maybe white, the cult books don't really sell well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, you know, you get those first few chapters and it's like, I don't know if this is, this is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something where I can just paint a symbol and get what I want, <laughs> you know? And that's the problem. You can't hate the magic but ask for a magic pill. Mm -hmm. Right? That's that's really what people want. They want the magic pill. I'm a millionaire. But magic actually doesn't work that way. Right? Because the world doesn't work that way. Right. Because energy is works that way. Right. And we're in a system. We're in multiple system overlaying systems that are interconnected. Like, if you could just become a millionaire... Everyone would just become a millionaire. And what would that mean for the system? It means that money wouldn't matter. Or money, a millionaire would be like the same as one cent now. Right. Right, because the system would adapt. Right. So now you have to realize inherently in this conversation about being a millionaire, you are talking about a increase above the average. Right. Like, what does it take? So really the question of millionaire can be phrased in a different way. That might be horrifying to some people, and I'll phrase it that way. Like, what would it take to be significantly wealthier than the average? Now that means you're already in competition with other people, which reflects the system, actual economic system we have. It means that what value do you add that would in get that kind of give that kind of value from the system or get, get back to that kind of system. All these questions that come about and what would it take? And then you realize a lot of people come to a conclusion if they really thought about that, that they're okay with average. Because mm -hmm. it's a lot easier. Right, right. Because you bring that focus, I think, back to yourself and how much energy you're willing to extend to get that wish. Exactly. I mean... Because people will be like, what's the point of magic? Well, understand, like, you can't just do spells to get what you want. We're not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying spells work, especially once you get thing. But what I am saying is that spells don't work in a vacuum. Like, you think you can just get, I mean, one of the things I get at this, at our store, you know, from clients is they want, want a new, I want, they want a lover. Mm -hmm. Okay, but does that happen in a vacuum? Really? No. Can't. 
It can't. It has it to can't. happen through other people. Right. And if you're in a relationship that's good, there's good and bad consequences. Like, right, your social network might might suffer. You might have to take a different job to um, to be able to have the time. Right? There's a lot of things that could possibly change. Like, that are good, too. Like, you could get a new kind of a new lover, and then, you know, they take you hiking all the time. And and that causes health, you know, health changes for the positive. The reverse could also be true. Mm. Yeah. All these things that could come about because there's a new person brought into your life. And people don't think like that. Like, those are things that have, are part of the original wish. Just It just doesn't seem that way. It, it brings up like that concept of interconnectedness or like in the Hindu world, it's like the Indra's net. Well, like I said, we are in, we're in multiple systems. Yeah. We're in a social system, a spiritual set, sets of spiritual systems, a reality system, like all these interconnected systems, like even our minds are kind of system based. Like we can change part of our mind and then change our social network. Like, and a lot of the people have issues with the understanding of the systems. Like I had been thinking about for years about, except it's too nerdish to actually probably sell. Um, but I've been thinking about it for years, writing a book on magic inside of systems theory. Like systems theory is a formal discipline of sort of engineering mm-hmm. um, and complexity and mathematics that it's hard to make predictions across one system to another but they have impact on each system, has an impact on each other. And this is actually why magic gets such a bad rap, because, I mean, it doesn't get a bad rap. It's having sort of a revival right now, it feels like. But, uh, I mean, it's why it usually gets such a bad rap from scientists, because it's like magic affects multiple systems at once, like in very odd ways. Like you can't do a ritual and not affect your mind. Your mind, the ritual can't affect your social network. It can't, it, when it when it gets around to finally making a change in physical reality, there's all these other changes that have already occurred. That, like between the social, the mental, uh, and not all of those are obvious, like we're talking about, obvious changes, like a mental change for... I don't want to pick on the job thing again. Let's pick a different intention. Um, I don't even know. I'm now thinking like, what's a good intention? Happiness. Healing. <laughs> healing, yeah. Yeah, healing. Healing. Like, you know, a mental change could be the opposite of what you think, right? Healing could involve you getting depressed. You're like, Andrea, how is that healing? Well... If that is the truth of what's inside and you're not acknowledging it, the first step is you have to acknowledge that you've been functionally depressed and you just hide it based by being too busy or stuff like that. So the first stage is, nah, get rid of the illusions so you can actually see what's there and then work through that. And that's actually healing. Hmm. Your, your intention is true. Like, okay, the first stage doesn't look like it's true. Because it took the veneers of being too busy off, you know, and distracting yourself. But then when you got to it, it was like, here's what it is. 
because then then that leads to a sort of well what kind of lifestyle changes is the spell going to produce to actually make that healing happen or the happiness happen and unless you think that's like something that i'm just like that's not how it really works rest assured we literally tell people who are get in our reiki program at reiki two and three that this is possible and they need to tell us and it does happen when they get the attunements why because that's all the garbage inside that's holding you back like you cannot you can't ignore all of it like your intention basically has to bring it to the surface first and then process it and then after you've like acknowledged it deal with it and that's a simple healing intention right so like it's not that uh i mean people can certainly get what they want because they can pay me for the spellcraft too like i'll do it like at 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 our store you know we have in canada queen city curio we'll we'll do it you know, and it'll work. We'll get it to work. There's all these consequences that even if you're paying someone that come about, right? All the stuff that I'm saying still happens. And this is why magic gets a kind of bad rap because there's, you're not affecting one system at a time. You're affecting all the systems for a spell. Like you're, you're trying to use the spiritual sort of set of interconnected gears to affect the material and they all spin in different speeds Mm -hmm. and they all and not all consistently spin the same direction or and basically you're trying to get the systems to turn and like that can happen fast or slow and if it happens Mm -hmm. fast there's a lot of broken gears that all of a sudden have to be put together because the systems fall apart so so we have to start putting things back together which creates even more (laughs) Right, which creates other more, systems. Right, right, exactly. And more often than not, that's what happens when people actually get magic to happen. A whole bunch of other things will change, right? Because they'll realize, you know, there's this, that. Now, the, granted, like some spells, like if you're like, well, I'd like a little extra money. You know, if you're a job with overtime, the most common thing that happens is you get overtime. That's mm-hmm. the sphere of availability for you. You know, that that's just what's available to you right then and there and you know people will complain about that too but that's a successful spell you got overtime when you weren't expecting it they don't like the cost of that <laughs> right. right they ask for more money but they don't like the cost that but in a way overtime's doubly good right it, it's literally sometimes doubly good yeah you get double the amount of mm-hmm. money for the same amount of hours but they don't like that people don't like that because that's a consequence that's the nearest available thing so maybe they do a bigger money spell. Like, I want way more money. And then everything <laughs> falls apart, right? Like, yeah. I'm talking about the job thing because I just recently started a new job. But, I mean, you know, then they get they way, they get way, they ask for way more amounts of money and proceed everything to blow up. And they go back to school. And you can see how the story ends, right? Because, like, when you kind of lose everything you go well i gotta go retrain and stuff like that and maybe that's motivation and then you know four years down the line after a degree you know or a new degree or a master's degree or whatever it is then they get a job that's a lot more money you know it's kind of like there's a limit to how far you can push before the systems have to radically change Mm -hmm. and i guarantee you if in this particular story of someone going back to school for a master's degree, you know, and getting it, 
if they were still with the same partner, I'd be amazed. It might be. Uh, and that's congratulations on that. So for the exceptions, I'd be amazed. But I'd be amazed if all their friends were the same. Because again, like people are going to have to fall away when you make start making those type of changes. And they will. You have different friends that you meet in the master's degree. Like, you know, you'll hang out with different people if that's your first degree. It's just how it is. You've changed who you are. The spell has changed who you are because you're one of the systems in the systems. Like if you're the you're the broken piece of the puzzle, you have to become the not broken piece of the system for your intention. Hmm. And that's like that's where we're getting. That's where we're talking about wishes. We're talking about prayers. We haven't talked much about chaos magic, but this is about chaos magic. I promise everyone this is like actual practical magic and how it works with spirituality in a real way versus wishful thinking. Right. Wishful thinking is you do a meditation, nothing happens. Hmm. It felt good. That's wishful thinking. Right. When when you're talking about this, I'm visualizing like a domino effect. It's like, okay, I'm over here. I want to get to this domino over here. But to do it, all these other ones in the middle have to fall down. Right. And people separate out. This is the thing. I think in general magic, people want to separate the dominoes from the magic. They want, again, they want the pill. And I think that's that's what you're talking about, wishes. Mm-hmm. They want the pill. They want the, here's the magic pill. Okay. Right. And I, you know, but they don't want the process. They want the process to be on their terms. But if Literally, we could do a thought experiment. Everyone could do a thought experiment. If you really wanted something, why don't you have it? And the answer is, it's either you, your current social network, or where you're living, or some combination of all those things that are preventing you from actually having it. Well, what does the magic have to do? No matter what, in your thought experiment, you have to be in a different state for that magic to occur. Like, it's not the magic to occur. The magic is sort of like where the state occurs. But then that state has to start to reflect your actual state. Otherwise, where's the magic? Like, so even if we could give you a magic pill, the thought experiment is exactly the same. Like, think about, I mean, even Gary, if you think about something that you want, Mm -hmm. really, really want, can you think of, is your life the same after you achieve it? Absolutely not. No. no. Exactly. No. And like, and if you thought about it a little bit, there's a lot of pain points that have to occur. Like, n- not necessarily if you have the right mindset about pain about this, but if you were unprepared, and I just gave you a pill that made that happen, there's a lot that even in a thought experiment probably would be radically different. Like, you can try this experiment to think about, well, what if? You got what you wanted. And I gave you a magic pill right now. I make you come to Queen City Curio up in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I do a spell for you. Get what you want. And then think about what else happens. And all of a sudden people realize there's a lot that happened. Right? There's other things that happened. You know, other things that happened that are actually major changes. You know, if you're a writer or you're a musician or I just said that because I see the guitar and you, mm-hmm. you get a you get start getting paying gigs. There's a lot that has to happen, even just your schedule for those paying gigs. Right. 
like it means Saturday and Friday, Saturday and Sunday, or Friday and Saturday, or maybe Thursday and Friday and Saturday, you're out of gigs. That alone is a major change. And that's with a magic pill, mm-hmm. right? You know, or, or, or if you say, hey, 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 like I want to, you know, I don't know what, you know, maybe it's a revenge spell, you know, whatever. Right, you want to get vengeance on someone. Again, you're taking changes to the system, you know? Mm. Right? Right. Is there anything, you know, too, like one of the things I used to read a lot, too, is about aligning will with our higher selves. Well, that's a traditional thing in mm-hmm. ceremonial magic, yeah. right? They use the metaphor of the higher go- angel and your higher self and a lot of traditions have this idea that you have a higher self that directs your behavior mm-hmm. i kind of i mean today as a chaos magician just as today i kind of want to not dismiss that but i kind of want to argue that it is changeable which is blasphemy in those traditions mm-hmm. um but it has to be somewhat changeable because these greater sort of intentions of where your alignment can't have specific details. If they did, they would no longer make sense as higher spiritual impulses, right? Because if you think about it, if it's down to the level of detail, that's not a spiritual impulse. It's an impulse of the world. Mm-hmm. As in it's the details, the details of the world actually mean that it's not in that realm anymore, um, which people use that sort of idea uh, to justify some sort of really self-destructive behaviors. Because if it's holy, it's your true will, or it's this, you're pursuing your true will and you're absolutely sure, um, then whatever you're doing is in line with your true will, even if it's not working. Mm. (laughs) Right. And that's the problem. Can you really be aware of what the details of your will are or higher self are when those are details that deal with the earth. There's a philosophical question here about that belief. I'd say no. And that what you think it is, is probably can change because the, the details of the exact spiritual impulses that you have are probably details of the world. It's the implementation details versus the guiding principles as it were that you just co- uncover about yourself. Interesting. Yeah. So you think that's more of a way for justification? I don't think it's necessarily totally uh, justification. I think it's one of the spiritual techniques that most often leads to a dead end because of self-justification. Like there is certainly people may have contact with the Holy Garden Angel and it might guide them forward. Those people who actually have contact with the Holy Garden Angel or something similar might might resonate with what I'm saying. They might agree with it. Whereas people who think they've had contact with it might um, aggrandize parts of themselves that are maladapted or does not help. Right? It's the e- it's one of the techniques that is easily abused, as in. It's easy to think that you're an all-powerful, mighty magician who has contact with their holy guardian angel and do stuff that 
probably is counter to even developing yourself as a magician. See, in my view, almost like if I have contact with my guardian angel, it's almost like a humbling thing. You know, I would think it would maybe strip me a little bit of my ego and stuff like that because here's this thing that's bigger than well, me. You might, you might think that authentic communication with that would probably be humbling or horrifying mm-hmm. or awesome or all of the above. However, you can see where I'm saying that this I is I see you where you're going. Yeah. Like, this is a major pitfall to actual spiritual progress is because... The ego you, just you, takes over. Right. Even if it's humbling at the time you did it, after the fact, you'd be like... Yeah, I did I'm it. I contact contact. with my holy yeah. God. I'm the shizness. <laughs> and you can see from there, that kind of gets in the way of, you know... That's an attachment with an idea that maybe isn't necessarily helpful, right? I mean, yeah, self-confidence is good, mm-hmm. you know, but it can get out, of, get out of hand fast, especially if you think it's backed by a holy guardian angel or a mystical higher self. And all kinds of things get justified that sound like not empathy, <laughs> like when you go there. It sounds like not spiritual. And... I'm sure everyone listening knows some teacher, guru, type person who's like, you know, I've had contact with myself, and they, you listen to them, and a lot of people buy into that confidence. They're like, this, they're awesome. But when you listen to them, they probably sound a little self-righteous. Mm-hmm. That is you true. Know, a, little too, a little too full of themselves. And I think that's a product of the actual... Um, it's it's actually sort of a danger built into the technique of trying to reach for that. Mm-hmm. So if we are to connect with something outside of yourself, ourselves, or or should we even try to connect with with beings outside of ourselves? I think so. I mean, I think it's it's pretty helpful. I mean, now granted, like if you read Hands on Chaos Magic, and you read later stuff that I've written for like stuff like Become a Living God. Uh, and, and some of the things I was saying there, it sounds like I'm against that. Like, but I'm not, I'm not really like, you know, like the last article I wrote, uh, particularly was on the, the art of becoming your own God. And actually, except for that, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's there with co-editing who some people don't like. Um, but I think he's okay when you actually talk to him, the whole premise of the, the article that I wrote was, you, you don't have a soul to start with. You have to earn a soul. Right? Let's not even talk about becoming a god, right? Like, ah, yeah, sure, maybe later. But let's talk about earning a soul, which is not necessarily totally opposite to what is talking about, like in Gurchoff or some of the mystery schools, that you don't start with anything but a spark, and you got to earn what you can get in this life. And in fact, that's classic Taoism, mm-hmm. right? You don't start with a soul. You start with a, a spirit. You start with some essence, and that's it. If you want to build a soul, you have to build a soul. And then we could talk about you becoming a greater spirit, like a god or something like that. But first, you have to build it. And I think the issues when you're doing all this and you're not communicating with the spirit world is it's easy to get solipsis, like, you know, you're talking to yourself, you're doing magic with servitors, 
or, or, or just uh, sigils. And it's easy to get in that mindset that your limitations are still your limitations. It's easy to forget that in your mindset. Like, you are still have blind spots. And that's the issue. Like, the other issue is if you blindly follow or blindly acquiesce or blindly worship, you have blind spots from a spiritual development point of view. And people don't want to hear that, but you do. Because you're just allowing this other entity to have that without any volition. How strong can you be if you don't claim some volition, spiritually speaking? You're, you're not... You're not investing in your own soul, as it were, to actually be able to create your own soul, um, which is actually goes back to the whole guardian angel. It's actually opposite philosophy expressed by Taoism than the holy guardian angel. Like a very opposite philosophy in some Taoisms. Taoisms, you know, and Eastern religions have multiple conflicting uh, philosophical philosophies. They really yeah. don't agree. Uh, they just appear to be oriental and everyone thinks they agree, but they don't. Um, they actually have wide disagreements. Some sects of Taoism actually believe, oh, you really have to earn it. And, and in this case, like, even if you're talking about your own spiritual development, you know, there's a lot you can do with yourself. And then there's limits in a way because you're still going to be eventually limited by what your limitations are like as in your blind spots mm -hmm. it's easy to pursue things you're aware of it's hard to otherwise drive up stuff that's not now granted there's rituals like shadow work and stuff like that but then you're getting to talking to some sort of vector like a holy garner or a key or something to give your outside perspective but at that point you're already talking to something you perceive as not you so why not open the whole floodgates? Now, used correctly, you can get very, very different perspectives from the spiritual world that are actually helpful. It's like when a friend actually comes and tells you, bro, you're being an idiot. You need to hear that sometimes. Or sometimes you need to hear the opposite, too. You are not the problem here. You need to hear that. Like, you're not going to hear that from yourself when you're own blind spots are there yourself probably will just continue to beat you up that's what we do because we're like yep it's i'm the problem here and i just need to fix it but it's like you know you sometimes need to hear a radically different perspective and that's kind of what mm -hmm. the spirits can do now granted if you manage the relationships correctly and well going to these sort of outside factors whether or not you believe it's all in your head or not at the point you're in ritual you got to believe it's real right the world falls away. Uh, and at the point that you're at the point you can believe it's real, even if later you're like, yeah, it's just an archetype or whatever, you can at least get a different perspective. I think there's that's not all that can be done with those sort of spirit model work. I think it's, it's a valid and useful, very useful um, set of tools. But that's a really important one. Because sometimes you just need to have a different perspective. On what's going on that could change or give you more information and by looking at it from a different angle allow you to actually make real progress mm. you know do, do, maybe, those, do those answers ever sometimes come through other people sometimes yeah 
but not always, right? Because it's easier to call up a spirit. Sometimes and, it's just and a thought. It in the spiritual context, then actually you get the answer from another person, right? It's easy mm-hmm. to limit those other people. But that's not to say the spirits don't work through other people, too. Right? Mm-hmm. When you start doing spirit work or magic work, all of a sudden somebody will say something. Right. And then there's the problem of having to discern what's our imagination and what's a spirit. Right. And that is a problem because spirits are not. Uh, say something controversial. Spirits are not real. As in, they may exist, but they're not real in the physics sense of real. And, you know, ceremonial magicians want to argue with me on this. That's fine. But they don't have mass. They don't have weight. They don't exist in time. And they don't have volume. These are the things that define real. <laughs> right? Using the term real with those type of entities is counterproductive to the narrative and what we're talking about. They can still exist and not be real. Like as in, okay, they exist. Very good. But they don't exist here. Right? They may exist somewhere else in some other slice of reality that we don't generally inhibit, but they're not real here. And that's important um, because, you know, how you interact with something that is only accessible through your mind is different than something you can interact with in physical contact. But there are means to rule out it's your imagination. And these means in hands-on chaos magic, I'm pretty firm about this, comes down to results. It comes down to using the world in the way the classic alchemist used the world. The game is the world. As in if you see tangible changes in the world, your summoning was real. That's wow. it. It's a cl- I mean, there's no harder metric than that. It's if true. there's tangible changes mm-hmm. either in the world. Now, there are softer ways to interpret this. So I don't want to say, like, if there's tangible blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can actually. We have better tools. I mean... Now with psychology, anyone listening ever get a 360 feedback? These are tools of psychometrics. Like they are really scientifically studied to study your changes and how you're interacting with other people. You take that before and after said summoning, again, you're getting tangible results that something occurred. If you are acting differently and your friends notice there's a difference and you start quantifying these psychological tools, you can see that you're different, which means there was a change. There was definitely a change from that encounter, and it's real. You can start taking up different habits. That's a clear sign something occurred, that you new habits come easy. If you're journaling quite well, if you're journaling um, something every day on what's going right, you have details about these changes that you're just making. You, 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 even if you're not reflecting on changes mm-hmm. you have an encounter and you start doing stuff differently, like, you know, you, you encounter a, a, a spirit in a real thing and then you just, you know, make time to make that walk that you were putting off. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't happening before, but it is now. That's tangible change in reality. That's, that's literally reality has changed. Um, it might seem small, but after about two years, it might not be. Right. Right. Right, everything could be different. Everything could be different from one small thing. Right, right. But if you're journaling well, you can kind of see there's actual changes. 
If you're journaling in a way that's consistent with meditation, you could see there's changes in your thought patterns, mm-hmm. which uh, you can then embrace or not. Like you, some you know, some cases you don't want to go that far into the thought patterns unless you're really good at self-analysis, because uh-huh. being aware that your thoughts have changed can actually force you to go back to the old thought patterns because you're basically going back to desire of result or trying to keep your thought patterns the same. But even noticing that your thought patterns are different or that your mood is consistently different uh, is a change. If you're journaling it, you could see those changes. There's actually recorded results that occur. It's not just a subject experience. By the way, if your mood has changed, you will always be able to get feedback from your friends that will see this too or your associates like that, that you, you are seemingly better. You can look for comments. They'll give them to you. You don't have to ask and be, it will be awkward, but they'll just say, you, you seem like you're doing a lot better lately. There's your, there it is. You know, it's an intangible, subjective sort of uh, metric. But at that point, when you start collecting them, it is similar to the kinds of metrics you get from social sciences. And you start collecting them, you get enough, realize that was a real encounter. Hmm. That ritual worked. It's physically reflecting changes in my personality, reality, situation, whichever combination it is. Wow. Man, this is a great interview, dude. This is, you know, like, I think like, yeah, I don't know if you, would you want to do like a follow up on this? Like, like, I think we, what you just did today, what we talked about was sort of like laying down the foundation of what people can expect and how to get results from practicing magic. Maybe we could do another episode on some of the steps of the actual ritual and formulating how to get it. Because I think this would oh, be sure. like a really good sort of stepping stone for that type of episode. Because we really dug that. deep into like attention and how it affects things, how people can expect it to work, and you know where to even verify the results. I'd be willing to do that. Yeah. We gotta work on the time. Awesome. So before we wrap it up, man, um, where's the best place for everybody to find you, find your books, find your shop? Well, right now, um, my shop is at 607 Gerard Street East in Toronto. Our website is queencitycurio.ca because we're Canadian. <laughs> right. So <laughs> uh, so of course we have a CA. Um, like right now, my website is andreavinimus.com, although it's broken, but you have a, a link to just reach out to me and say, hey, this is, uh, you can reach out if you want to consult or do other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, if you're in if you're in Toronto or in the area, it's 607 Gerard Streets, our, our main store. We have many public shrines here for free. Like we have an ancestor altar for free. You just come. Uh, we've got a Buddhist shrine we're building. Um that we had an artist, and now we got to we gotta we gotta get some more artists involved to help us kind of paint or draw the pictures of the different Buddhas, and then um, then we bless them and we consecrate them and put them out there, and uh, you know we're, we're gonna probably build a couple more shrines just in our hallway. So it's cool. You could just walk That's up awesome. to the, the fourth the fourth floor. We're on the fourth floor. We have most of the fourth floor. You just walk up to the fourth floor. There's Tibetan flags everywhere. There's prayer flags you could kind of kind of tell mm-hmm. it's an acupuncture center and spiritual center uh and then like there's rituals every two weeks 
uh, that we do. So it's pretty cool. Like you just come up there, uh, and and like I said, if people want, they can email me directly, Andrea Vitimus at uh, at gmail dot com. I'm kind of good at responding. I'll get my website back up sooner or later. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's a mess too. <laughs> I did a full stack. One time I did full stack development, so I'm like, I don't like doing uh, web design. Me either. I'm okay with. For people who are programmers, I like doing back end programming, and, and really I'm moving away from web development to data science, and, and I'm really good at data science. I like that. Um, don't like design. I like design, but not web design so much. So it's like, when I have to sit down and do the web page design, I'm like, uh, mm -hmm. just, I just, I just procrastinate because I'm like, I really don't want to do the web design uh, process, kind of know how to do it. It's just getting down to CSS. Mm -hmm. I just don't like spending hours on CSS. Uh, nobody likes cascading style sheets. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. It's like... <laughs> Five pixels here and everything breaks. You're like, ah, oh, oh. yeah, it's a real headache. But the, it is, it is. So, so, but I'll get it back up, um, like sooner than later. And like, you can reach me there. Just email me. Of course, I have my own podcast, Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Every week, we interview people. We try to be live radio. That's our stick. Mm -hmm. We used to be live radio. We want to get back to live radio, so we always have live YouTube. And honestly speaking, weird stuff does happen when you're doing stuff live. Weird yeah. stuff happens on the show. People say stuff they shouldn't say. <laughs> or they should say, mm -hmm. uh, depending on your perspective. I mean, I think last week I got I got compared to Barbara Walters in person. I don't hmm. know if they thought that was an insult, but I thought that was a compliment. I'm like, I think it's a compliment, too. A compliment as a journalist. Like, I'm yeah. feeling pretty good about myself right now. <laughs> like, because I was asking harder questions. Mm-hmm. But it's, so it's interesting, like because we we do ask harder questions on the show. Hmm. When people when there's sort of a something weird quirky comes out, we're like, "But what about that?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, don't I think nowadays in this kind of media space that we're in, like getting more unvarnished, uh, sort of takes out of an author is very valuable mm -hmm. in itself like i think it's there's all the publishers presentation layer of, and you get that and then you get something real when you don't expect it and i think that's important it is it is i do that too like a lot of times people when i interview them they'll send me the list of questions that they want me to ask the first thing i discard because <laughs> they're always too easy yeah I'd much rather and sit down and have person. a conversation and see where it goes. Yeah, it's it's always the questions are always too easy. Um, and they never really they don't go anywhere interesting. No. Right? Like, okay, you want to read the summation of the the book I wrote? It's on Amazon. But if you want to if you want to know if you want to hear like what we heard here, we have to have more of a real, authentic discussion, mm -hmm. and that's that's the philosophy we have too. Yeah, but yeah, that's deeper down the rabbit hole. So it's ddtrh dot com and check it out. Like every week, we do something. All right, so I'll put the links to all that in the notes of this episode.
And uh, it's been a pleasure having you back. And we'll try to set something up for maybe a part two of this. I'll be be very welcome to do that. Like I said, me and you just got to work out the time. Yeah, it's always the tough one. Both have jobs. Jobs get in the way of actually doing radio. I know. What's up with that? Uh, I'd love this just to be my job one day. Working on it. Well... Off air, I have some suggestions if you want to do that. All right. Cool. So I'm gonna that's a wrap and I'm gonna play the outro. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com. Message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio.